Well, it's been a wonderful time of worship already here in the uh, worship center. And for those of you over in the fellowship hall, I hope you've had uh, likewise an enjoyable, enjoyable time of worship. Welcome. Welcome. We're so glad that you are here with us as we worship in two rooms at one time together. And uh, we join for the preaching of the Word of God. First Peter chapter 2 is where we just simply want to connect with one more time and try and squeeze everything out of this paragraph that we can as we finish up this series on culture, the church, politics, and the church. And um, I, I will say this, walking into this series, uh, there was a little bit of fear and trepidation on the part of your pastor, I, honestly, as you talk about a subject like this, because, um, you know, there's so many different opinions on that, and even within the body of Christ, and we saw this election this past year, uh, just the divisive nature of all that went on in the world of politics, and everyone kind of hurting, and fr from what has taken place, and and then we had the election and such a monumental change. But I will say this, the Lord has been incredibly faithful to his word. And I think the Lord has been incredibly faithful to understand that as we enter into uh, a subject like the culture or politics, our hearts should be tethered to what the word of God has to say so that we see all of these issues from a biblical standpoint, from a gospel-centered standpoint, from a Jesus-centered standpoint. And once we begin there, everything begins to work itself out. And in order to do that, we have to turn to the Word of God and find where God instructs us on these areas. And so we've done that over the last four weeks. And so we come today really to pick up where we left off last week in the book of Peter. Now, Peter is a follower of Jesus. G uh, Peter is one who has been appointed by Jesus, one of the disciples, one of the inner circle, really to help lead the early church. He is not the first pope, but he is the leader of the early church. And so Peter was given by the Holy Spirit words to teach to the body of Christ, to the local churches that were scattered throughout all of the empire. And so he writes these letters, First and Second Peter, and he writes them particularly to people who are suffering throughout the empire. They're undergoing persecution. They're undergoing challenge to their faith. And so he writes them about suffering, and he writes this paragraph that we looked at last week and that we're going to wrap up with this, uh, this week about politics, about government, about the king. But here's what you need to remember as we walk into this paragraph and as we try and make application, wrap up our series, and head home today. And it is this, that the followers of Jesus that Peter are writing to are a people that aren't exactly like where you and I are when it comes to the culture and when it comes to the government. They didn't have the same freedoms that you and I have. They, didn't, they weren't able to go and vote and express their will in the life of, of their government like we do. So we know there's some, some differences there. And then also understand this. Christians today, followers of Jesus today, evangelicals, if you will, are a people who are considered a powerful movement or a powerful voting block in modern-day American life because of our numbers. It wasn't like that in Peter's day. And in Peter's day, understand this, as he's writing these followers of Jesus and he, and he comes to this passage, the followers of Jesus were, were misunderstood. 
And there was great suspicion about who they were. And it led to persecution. For instance, the act of worship that we just took, took part in, the Lord's Supper. It was an act of worship back in the first century that as the government looked at it, as their neighbors looked at it, as their employers looked at it, it was awfully, awfully strange. Because what they were doing is not only worshiping a man who was crucified by the government as a, as a, as a convict, as a criminal, but also they claimed that he was raised to life, so he was some sort of a god. And so when they would gather around these meals and they would eat together and then they would observe and recognize the body and the blood of Jesus, there was all this suspicion that these guys are a cult or, a, or, or some weird religion that brings cannibalism into their religious life. We don't get these guys. Who are they? And then they loved one another. They loved their wives. They loved their families. They loved their children. They loved differently, and they loved the body of Christ, those local assemblies. They would give, and they would share with one another. And so as, as Rome, the government at that time, looks at the followers of Jesus, they see something that's incredibly distinct and incredibly different about them. Is that how we are looked at today? It kind of is a mixed bag, isn't it, as we talk about our politics, as we talk about our culture. But here's the thing. What Peter says to those followers of Jesus on that day is the same thing that the Holy Spirit says to us today. Regardless of the context, regardless of our similarities, regardless of our differences that we have with the early followers of Jesus. And Rome at this time was led by a man named Nero. He's an emperor that, along with all of the misunderstanding, along with all of the suspicion about the followers of Jesus, Nero would rise to power at the age of 17. They think his mother, who was really thirsty for the power, they think his mother murdered the emperor so he could rise to the throne. Now, Nero didn't really have an appetite for governing. He left that, thankfully, to those that had an ability to do so, but he pursued his own passions. He pursued the arts, and he pursued sports, and he pursued architecture, and he pursued all of the things that made his lifestyle one of really of moral debauchery. It was, it was Nero who wouldn't think twice about murdering his, his political enemies. It, it was this Nero who had an affair with his friend's wife and only to marry her, but then in a fit of rage to kill her. I mean, this is the type of lifestyle that Nero led. He would... Um, commit suicide. He would take his own life at the age of 31. So for these 14 years that he's there in power, eventually Nero gets around to persecuting these so-called followers of Jesus just because they were marginalized, just because they were suspicious, just because they were misunderstood. And he was able, maybe you've heard this story, he was able when Rome is burned, and some believe that he helped set fire to Rome himself just so that he could rebuild it, when Rome is burned to the ground, he's looking for a scapegoat so that he is not accused of that. Who does he go to? He goes to the believers, and he persecutes the believers, and he takes some of these believers, and he puts them on torches. He puts them on lampposts, and he makes torches, human torches, out of some of them. He takes animal skins, and he sews some of these believers up in animal skins so that the dogs could get them. Now, in light of all that, here's where Peter writes to the church. In light of all of that, 
Peter says some very strong words to the, to the followers of Jesus who are there about how they are to respond to all of this. How are they to live? Are they to rebel? Are, 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 they, to, are they to try and form a new government? Are, 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 they, are they to um, commit acts of treason or acts of murder? In light of all of this, how are they to respond? All right, First Peter, with all that said, chapter 2, verse 13. Listen to what he says. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, but not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants, slaves of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God and honor the emperor. Wow, what a paragraph in light of all that. Let me remind you that Peter, it is believed, would be put to death by Nero. Peter would be hung upside down. Tradition has it. Didn't want to be crucified like Christ. Not worthy. And he writes all of that in a spirit of submission and humility, but a spirit of strong trust in God. So let's wrap up our series this morning, first of all, by just reviewing the first two thoughts that we had last week. In, in verse 17, honor everyone. Peter says, in light of, of where you are culturally or politically or, or, or with a king in charge, people of God under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, honor everyone. Widen your perspective to care for people who are not like you. Peter says to those believers, those followers of Jesus, care for your employer who does not believe what you believe, honor him. Your neighbor who thinks you're weird, honor him. The Jewish people that think you have abandoned the Jewish faith, still honor them. The Roman governors, the Roman police that you see on the streets, honor them. Recognize that every single person is worthy of respect because they are made in the image of Almighty God. So therefore, you can make a powerful political, cultural statement by not being divisive, but by honoring those who are not like you. Second of all, love the brotherhood. Renew your commitment to the people of God. He reminds them, and Paul reminds them, and James reminds people all throughout the early church, they're always pushing towards love and towards unity. Because why? Because divisiveness and conflict and arguing among the body of Christ, when those outside the body of Christ see that, when those in the culture or those in the political realm look at the church and they go, huh, they're acting like a bunch of politicians. No big deal, right? This Christianity is, isn't really all it's cracked up to be because they act just like we do in the office. They act just like we do in our government. What a strong, strong word. Love the brotherhood. Renew your commitment 
to the people of God. So here we go. Third point this morning, found there in verse 17, right out of our text, fear God. And here's the line that I wrote to myself and I give to you this morning about what it means to fear God. Fear God by prioritizing him above any politician, above any party, or above any movement. Fear God by prioritizing, elevating God above any party, any politician above any movement. Here is what Peter is reminding the people when he says to them, listen, here is the will of God that you act in a way not with a freedom that allows you to do whatever you want to do because you say Jesus is Lord and he is, but that doesn't give you the freedom to do evil. That doesn't give you the freedom then to cause a ruckus here on the earth because when Caesar looks at that, when the emperor looks at you during evil, He is going to address that. He is going to say, no, it is my job to protect the citizenry. It is my job to care for this community if he's doing his job. Romans 13, he has been instituted by God. God has set up the government for good, to punish evil, to praise those that are good. Now, we understand governments sometimes don't carry out their directives in accordance with God's will. We'll get to that in just a second. But God has instituted government. Peter says, listen, when you act in a way in which you forget your testimony, here's, here's what I think happens under this heading of fear of God. I think, I think people were forgetting their testimony. They were forgetting what it means to be a follower of Jesus. They were forgetting what it means to live in compliance with, under submission with the authority of Rome and authority of those community leaders and authority over those that were exercising authority over them, whether it was in their business or wherever it might be. They're forgetting their testimony. And in the place of fearing God, they were concerned about getting their own way, doing their own thing. And here is my fear of this past election. I pray, I pray as I read more and more that we as the body of Christ have not abandoned our testimony throughout all of this. I pray we haven't. I pray that when people look at the body of Christ, what they see first is that we honor everyone, those that are like us and those that are not like us, that we love the brotherhood, and that above all things, we don't have to get our way. We would rather fear God than get our way. That we don't forget our testimony. Here's the other thing, that we don't forget to trust God. We don't forget to trust. Sometimes we can fear that if a politician, or if a party, or if a movement, or if an ideal that we hold on to does not get its way, does not lead us, then therefore the end is near. How many times did you hear on both left and right over this past election season that the apocalypse will be upon us if she wins, and the apocalypse will be upon us if he wins? How many times did you hear that? And here's what happens. We begin to fear. We begin to prioritize or we begin to move God, maybe not from the throne, but down to the side. And politics kind of competes. And we ask God to, to bless our politics a little bit because we forget our testimony or we forget to trust the one who sets up kings, tears down kings. We forget the one who says that the heart of the king is in the palm of my hand. I'll turn him or her wherever I desire that the nations are a drop in the bucket to 
me. We sometimes forget that politics and politicians and movements and ideas are all there is. And then when we do that, we can lose sight of the fact when Peter tells us that your first allegiance is to fear God. Fear him alone. Trust him. Trust him. Now, Peter did this. He's hung upside down. How do you reconcile that? How do you reconcile that? It's true. Sometimes fearing God will lead you to a place where you might have to disobey the government. In Acts, the apostles drug before the authorities, and they're said, listen, um, you stop preaching Jesus. You stop preaching this gospel, this resurrection of the dead. You're causing all sorts of problems. And you know what their response is? We would rather do what? We would rather obey God than man. Here's what they're saying. We're not going to forget our testimony. We're not going to forget the heart of God for all people. And we're not going to forget to trust. And if it means disobeying, we will disobey and we will suffer the consequences rather than succumb to a politician or a movement or a party or your authority which commands us to do something we can't do. And here's what we have to make up our mind to do from this point forward understanding that we don't know which way the political winds are going to blow. We don't know what's going to happen to the Supreme Court. If you think you know, take that to Vegas and see what that does for you, okay? If you think you really, really know, just take a look at the history of the Supreme Court throughout these past administrations. If you think you know which way the political winds are going to blow, hold on, hold on. Trust God first. Fear God first. Don't be afraid of what might come our way. And you have to make up your mind. This is a will thing. This is a will thing. Whether it's Donald Trump, whether it's Hillary Clinton, whether it's any other president, you have to make up your mind and say, I'm going to fear God above any relief that this man or this woman could have offered me. Whether it's preaching the gospel. Look, we have to make up our mind. Your pastor has made up his mind. Your pastor has made up his mind that if they come, whether it's under a Supreme Court, whether it's under Donald Trump, whether it's under any, any um, agency, whether it's under any authority whatsoever, if they come to your pastor and they come to Taylor's First Baptist Church and they say, you have to not preach the gospel, you have to water the gospel down, or the gospel and its implications for families, or the gospel and its implications for culture. Hey, you need to sidetrack this a little bit, a little bit. Just know this, your pastor and the leadership of this church, we are not abandoning the gospel for any politician. We're not abandoning the gospel for any government whatsoever. But we do so not with a fist that says, we are out to get you. We do so humbly, trusting God, trusting him, and doing this, the final thing. We do so, thought number four, by honoring the emperor. We do so humbly living under his authority as a sign of trust in God's authority. We do so knowing that if we have to disobey, we will. If the gospel is at stake, we're with the gospel. But we also do that, do so not with a fist that says we will overturn you or we will get you at the voting booth or wait till we get done with our political movement to shake you up. No, we don't do that. We participate. 
but we participate like Jesus went to Pontius Pilate. Honorably. Honorably, humbly. We go, as one writer said this past week, we go with the power of the gospel in our lips and an olive branch in our hands. That we desire more than anything for all men to know this gospel. And Peter tells me, the one that's hung upside down tells me, that I can fear God by simply honoring the king. And this is a hard principle for us because, like I said, we don't exactly live in the day and age of first century, of the first century early church. Things are so much different. But I think the principle still applies And so what I want to do as we close our time this morning is simply present to you a testimony of a man. This is a powerful testimony. When I I heard this, I just went, whoa, that's good. I, I can't preach that any better than what he just preached with what he just said. What I want to do as we close our time this morning is simply connect these two points. How do you fear God and honor the king humbly? How do you oppose or how do you disagree or how do you protest but as a follower of Jesus do it in a way in which when people see it they say he's different just like the early church what I'm about to show you is a um, some of you've seen it already this is a video and it's really a broadcast of um, a man named Ernie Johnson Ernie Johnson's a uh, sportscaster in Atlanta for TNT. And Ernie Johnson uh, is a follower of Jesus. In fact, I told the guys this past week that when I was in Atlanta, I was at a Fellowship of Christian Athletes breakfast, and Ernie Johnson was there, and he was in MC. And you just knew his testimony. Um, he uh, has two children and has adopted four other children. I believe, I believe someone said this past week that one of those kids has, um, is disabled. And so he's already been just this incredible, powerful testimony, quietly, um, subtly living out his faith. But he spoke out when it comes to the culture and politics and his religion. And I want you to see how he speaks out because I, I see it as a model for you who are every day in your neighborhoods and in your schools and in your business places and you have friends that don't know Christ and and you're in places where as we break from here, you're going to go and you're going to operate where the word of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ, how you speak to politics and religion is going to shed a lot of light on that gospel. And he does it so incredibly well. So I want you to listen to him as he links these two points of what it means to fear God, but also to honor the king. Let's watch this video together. When this campaign season started, I, I felt like I'd been dealt a bad hand. Um, I had these couple of choices. And there were trust issues with Hillary Clinton I couldn't get past. And there was this inflammatory rhetoric from Donald Trump, which to me was incomprehensible and indefensible. I couldn't vote for either one. For the first time in going to the polls for 42 years, I hit the write-in button, and I voted for John Kasich. And I left knowing that John Kasich wasn't going to win, but I left with a clear conscience because I hadn't settled. Number two, I'm hopeful. I watched the video today at CNN on what was going on at the White House with Donald Trump, President Obama. I was hopeful and I was encouraged. 
that there will be a difference between the President Trump and the campaigning Trump. And I'm with these guys. We have to give them a chance. But here's the deal. I just hope that he's all in, in, uh, in fixing the wounds in this country and the divides that separate this country. And I want to be part of that too. And for me to be part of it, I have to look in the mirror and I have to say, how am I going to be a better man? How am I going to be a better neighbor? How am I going to be a better citizen? How am I going to be a better American? How can I be a fountain and not a drain? And number three, I know you're not supposed to talk about politics and religion, but we're already talking about politics, and so I'm going to go the R direction, too. I never know from one election to the next who's going to be in the Oval Office, but I always know who's on the throne. And I'm on this earth because God created me, and that's who I answer to. I'm a Christian. I follow this guy named Jesus. You might have heard of him. And the greatest commandment he gave me was to love others. And scripture also tells us to pray for our leaders. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for Donald Trump. I'm going to pray for all those people right now who feel like they're on the outside looking in, who are afraid at this point. Pray for them too. In short, I'm praying for America. And I'm praying that one day we're going to look back and we're going to say, you know what? That Donald Trump presidency, that was all right. But I'm praying. I love that. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God alone as we honor the king. Will you pray with me right now? Father, thank you for men like Peter who received your word and wrote it down for us so that we could receive it and can learn from it and we take your word that is our ultimate authority and we we apply it to our lives and we apply it to our hearts and not only the word but the gospel contained in the word that we celebrated today at the Lord's table that gospel which frees us to live it out that frees us to demonstrate that gospel and all we do and say just as Jesus did, just as Peter did, just as men like Ernie Johnson in broadcasting, but using every avenue to say, we'll fear God, we'll honor everyone, we'll honor the King. And so, Lord, as we wrap up this series, would you transform us? May we walk away changed, changed by the Scripture, changed by your Spirit, changed by what you have instructed us to do, to overcome evil with good, to pray and to intercede for our president, for our leaders, so that we might live peaceful lives and that the gospel might then be free to come to all men, to live not using our freedom to cover up evil, but instead to live freely as servants of God and servants of people. Oh, Father, make us people who are politically and culturally engaged but spiritually infused with your gospel oh lord thank you thank you for what you've done and we pray this prayer in jesus name amen